everybody. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. We are back from just a little break that we took over the holidays, and we're so grateful to be back in the saddle. This episode, I'm with Dan and Adrian, and we're talking about the difference between leadership training, meaning learning about leadership, and leadership in practice. This is a really rich conversation with so much philosophy, uh, and I believe action as well just the way that we relate to ourselves in our leadership roles. It's a great way to kick off the new year to kind of set us back at zero and to evaluate the way that we're showing up as a leader in our organizations, in our families, and, and as individuals. So can't wait for you to listen. Let's dive in. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with Dan and Adrian. Gentlemen, how are you? Great. Alive, alive and well. Yeah. This is our first time back in the saddle after the, a long, long break of COVID and Christmas and all of the stuff. And um, man, I'm just grateful to see your guys' faces again. Yeah, man. So good to be here. Yeah, yeah. Good to hang again. Miss you guys. Yeah. I was really excited about this topic, Dan, when you proposed it, especially when we think about, I mean, it's a really natural place to be in at the beginning of a year to think about starting, to think about um, renewing all of that kind of stuff. And we've been, I mean, the end of this month, January of 2022 is, will be, uh, that'll be our, the end of our second year producing this podcast. Hey. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday to us. We started in just at the, the end of January, 2020. Naked so. for two years and still, <laughs> still warm. And still loving it. <laughs> I, wish I, I, could get, I wish I could get more naked. Is there, it, it, naked's like a binary state, right? I, I, oh, I mean, we're all sitting here naked on this podcast. That's kind of funny. <laughs> Well, the reason I bring that up is because I, I thought, Dan, I thought this topic was a really good reset for the conversation we've been having for two years, which is obviously all around leadership. And when you propose, I was like, yeah, this is like, this is a great place for us to get back to the baseline. Um, and so anyway, I just really wanted to say that, that I appreciate that. So the topic that we're talking about today is this idea of leadership training, and you guys can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes, like leadership training versus the exercise of leadership or the exercising or the practice of leadership. And for the, for the sake of this conversation, we're going to refer to leadership training as learning about leadership. Like, how do I do it? What does a leadership or what does a leader say? What does a leader do? Like all of that sort of stuff. And there's so much leadership training out there. And so much of it is based around this idea of what does a leader do rather than how do we practice leadership? How do we embody what a leader does and is not thinking about what they do. So Dan, I would love, you know, before we hit record, you were really relaying, you were uh, running the, the analogy of the fighter, like the MMA fighter that you watch, right. And what's going on for them while they're in the ring. And I'm wondering if I think that would be a great place to just start this conversation off. Yeah. A little framework. Um, before I get to the analogy. Yeah. Um, what occurred to me is what 
really makes a difference in the world, right? And what differentiates our quote unquote leadership training from what's in the marketplace? And oftentimes I hesitate to make the distinction because it can, it's a subtle but very powerful distinction. And it, it it's um, you'll see when I start talking about it, but um, what really makes a difference in the world, right? Like, in the, like if you think about it in the normal course of events, what we're usually left with after doing, you know, doing work on something is a kind of menu of decisions that we've made. And, and we look up and say, okay, well, what should I stop doing? What should I start doing? What do I want to continue doing like that? It's, it's almost like it's, a, it's about as effective as a list of New Year's resolutions, really. Uh, it doesn't make much of a difference. And, um, and I'm saying this kind of lear learning is kind of, it's what we're steeped in, right? It's what we do. And it may sound alien because we live in a culture that claims that the way we get competent or skillful at something is that, you know, we have to learn in this way. Uh, but when you hear the word learn, we automatically think of accumulating facts or information or prescriptions and formulas. You know, what did I do wrong? What did I, you know, what can I do right next time? And all the rest of the kind of learning that leads up to understanding. And in this case, what I'm talking about when I talk about leadership is that it's it's like what is it how, how can i open up the biggest possibility for me to be a leader right and so one way to think about this is the fighter in inside the ring right if you watch i watch mma i watch boxing i i find it very intriguing because you know uh it's particularly in mma there's a lot of parody you know any given day one of the fighters can beat another fighter just because they're so technically sound and in great shape and um but I'm, i often think like, i'm watching it i am an observer giving an account i'm sitting in the stands looking down on the field you know looking onto the into the mat and i'm watching these guys fight and i've got all these assessments about how great it is, et cetera. And, you know, like, well, look at that move and look at this move. And that was really brave, you know, but down there, they're thinking something completely different. They're actually, they're in a different inquiry than I am, right? They're, they're not, they're not an observer giving an account. They're actually presencing what it means to be an MMA fighter. They're, they're, they're being it. And there's not a lot of they're they're actually transparent to themselves. They're they're there, but they're not aware of themselves. They're more aware of what they're up to. They're they're aware of what's like engagement. It's it's really hard to. It's like they're in action. They're getting it done. While I'm up here reflecting, like oh, good left, get your arms up. You know, keep your hands up. Don't let them. You know, they're they're they You can tell they're that's automatic for them. They're thinking they're. Their, their bodies, re they're reacting in it and they're well-trained. And, and so I noticed that in leadership, leadership trainings, we tend to be live in this observer giving an account. I don't know if you ever hit a ball against the wall, you know, like playing tennis or handball or, you know, and you're playing there and you think you're playing by yourself, but you're really playing and you're, you're an observer giving an account about how you're doing. And to the degree that you're in that state, you're less effective than if you're completely in a flow state where you are actually transparent to yourself. You're so engaged that you're, you know, you're you're inventing while you're going along. And if you watch a great fighter like a Muhammad Ali or, you know, you can, there's a number of great fighters, 
who do things that you're not supposed to do, but they do them and get away with them because they're in it and it's they're not thinking about what they should or shouldn't do. They're in the flow and that there are certain moments that it's appropriate to do what normally fundamentally may not be the thing to do that elite, that an observer giving an account would say, oh, that's not fundamentally sound. But in that moment, in that context, in that second, that way of being was effective, right? And so we're so often, we what I'm getting at is we have to, we, we tend to want to create in our culture a set of distinctions or a set of characteristics and definitions that we put outside of ourselves and go, I want to be that. And then I try to become that set of, of descriptions rather than what kind of thinking can I employ that would connect me in the moment so much so that I would express leadership, you know, like I wouldn't be thinking about it. It would be a natural at hand kind of thing, like the tennis racket is and the pro tennis player He's not thinking of the racket, but if you and I pick up a racket, we're playing tennis. That's all we're thinking about. And if you're in the stands, you're aware of that racket. But the, the guy in the court, it's so part of his body. It's it's at hand. He just no. It, he uses it. So th- that's what I want to get at. That's that's what I'm aiming at. That's what we aim at in our trainings. And we have some distinctions that enable people to make that connection or to open up that possibility. Not like an answer, like a practice, right? Because we're so used to listening in answers. We're so used to listening for the right formula. I can leave this podcast and do this and I will be a leader, right? Versus what if I practice this? What might I discover along the way of, you know, as I am leading? Yeah. I think of the success rate that's like, I've heard a bunch of different figures and who knows which one's correct, but like the effectiveness of self-help, self-help books, yeah, right. which I love me a good self-help book, Mm -hmm. but there's a difference between reading and knowing the principles. Right. It's a lot of times, even in my coaching calls, a lot of times I'll bring something up and, and the, and the person on the other side of the line that I'm working with will say, yeah, I already know that. But, but the evidence and the results are not in the life of a practice of that. Yeah, exactly. And to make, to have somebody enter into the inquiry of that, like to get, you know, there's a quote by uh, Martin Heidegger that the will to know does not abide before that, which is worth worthy of thought. The will to know does not abide before that, which is worthy of thought. Like my need to know literally keeps me from engaging what true thinking is. Hmm. Right. Cause regurgitating an answer isn't thinking. Mm-hmm. It, it, thinking is engaging the moment and out of me comes an answer to the moment. That's so interesting. You can know something, but not think about it. Yeah, I've been married a long time. I'm pretty familiar with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What comes up for you in that introduction and analogy, Adrian? Oh, there's so much in here. Um, yeah. I was thinking about a moment in my own life this morning, thinking about a moment in a coaching conversation this morning. Um, and, and it might... Maybe the analogy from the coaching conversation might be helpful. 
um, talking with this very successful uh, entrepreneur and um, he'd been noticing how stoic he's become, especially over the last several months. And he shared with me something very, you know, he shared with me something very personal. And then he said, I haven't told anybody about that. You're the only person I've told about that. And it was something pretty tragic for him. Mm. And he was pretty stoic about it, even just saying it like a fact. Mm. And then, and how did it come up? He actually mentioned something. I'm trying to be anonymous here. He mentioned something and, and I, I, I might lose the point if I can't be that specific, but I, I will try. Um, I asked him if he wanted something in his life and he said, yes, but I said, well, you don't seem that excited about it. And then he pointed out the tragedy that happened. And then he, and then, and then he was talking about how disconnected, he didn't say disconnected, but, but, you know, he wants to be more emotionally present, um, which is kind of like the knowing, you know, it's kind of like, Oh, I should be, I should be more torn up by this. That's what he said. What do I need to know? Thinking that if you give me some information, that'll enable me to be present. Yeah. Or he's like, you know, he's in a commentary about himself, about how he should be. Yeah. Um, which is yeah, what he, most, go ahead. The observer, the observer giving an account. Right on. Yeah. So, so he's in a, in a commentary about the should in his life, which is kind of most people, when they go read a book, it's because they've got some kind of felt need. This book sounds like it's a solution to their felt need. They read the book. It's, it's satisfying because um, it's like another strategy that they ought to take on, but they don't take it on. But, but, they, but we all give ourselves credit for knowing what we ought to be doing. Now I know five more reasons why I ought to be this way. Yeah. And instead of my conversation with him is, well, let's talk about what you get out of being so stoic. Let's talk about like the way of being behind it and what, what, how you don't, like, why would you want to be more emotionally present? Let's talk about that instead of how to do it. Let's talk about what might be missing out for you, what you might miss out for you, for you in your business, in your life, in your family, by being this guy. Which by is interesting because it's very distinct from giving him advice about how to show up. Yeah. Very, very distinct. It's like, and sometimes clients will go, well, you didn't help me because you didn't tell me how. Yeah. Right. But if, they, but if they engage the inquiry, all of a sudden, you one is compelled to be present or be with. Yeah. Yeah. To discover. Because it's frightening. You think about it. Sure. It can be. I mean, as long as I'm an observer in the stands, it's terrifying. I think about stepping into the MMA ring. That's terrifying. <laughs> I, but you know what's even more terrifying than that? And this is hitting home for me really now. It's like this realization moment. is like... What would be even scarier than that for me, Dan, is being told how to fight and then be put in the ring. That's scary. Yeah. Because what, what info, like, how am I going to use that information? Like, how are you going to be told how to fight? Because you don't know what's coming. Right. So that's, it's just interesting. I don't know if I'm making my, my point clear enough, but I just, I just recently had one of my clients um, in the venture experience, he bailed halfway through and his feedback was for me was that he thought I was going to tell him 
how to build his business in relationship to his vision. And I was unwilling to do that because my commitment to him is to examine the beliefs and the behaviors and all of those sort of things, question, ask questions around what it is that he says he doesn't want, but he still has. Because if we can figure that out, then we can get to now what he can create now what, right? And, um, and he didn't like that. <laughs> and so he bailed, he quit early. And I was, uh, it's, I, it's been a real thing for me just in my head about like, you know, how did, where did I miss him? Um, and there was, I've, I've identified some places that I missed him and had a conversation with him about that, but it's just, it was so intriguing to me to be like, well, you know, nobody, the scariest thing would be to be in business or to grow your business to the point you want to, you want to grow it to by somebody telling you how to do that, because I'm not always going to be there. Well, and whatever you tell them may not be relevant in the context that arises. Right. And it's going to require more of him. He's, you know, it's like, it sounds like it is a cliche, but it's true that, you know, what makes a difference isn't what you know, it's who you are. Right. It's Mm. the one that shows up, but that, it makes sense. I mean, I, 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 I'm thinking about it, you know, you, you watch these fighters again, they learn all the basics, right. And, And a great fighter, like you, they'll lose, they may lose two or three times in MMA. It's very common that these fighters will lose two or three times, but their losses are what put into context. They, I've learned, I listened to this guy, you know, Dustin Poirier, he was, uh, he's just a brilliant fighter. And he was talking about his losses put into context, all the like ways that he could fundamentally become, he could be in the ring that he hadn't thought about like reflecting back on those losses and reflecting back on the experience of what moves he made, et cetera, actually made him, and he becomes, he became like, there's a point where it's common now is that these fighters who are really good make a leap to excellent. If they make, if they, if they put that experience, if they keep in that inquiry, right. They're not trying to find characteristics. They're trying to connecting experience inside the ring right so it's a very different it's hard to you know it's like our language fails because we're always describing right it's like i'm an athlete i know you guys are athletes how do you explain for instance how to snowboard to somebody you can tell them how but until they get on it and start to experience and be present in it they there's no way right and that's the same there's no difference with leadership i don't think at all I, I, it's like being a father you can go ahead and read a book on being a father and might, might even help you. I don't, you know, but unless you get in there and get dirty, it ain't happening. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, cause I, I think a lot of the inquiry for me is even if I, if I, if I know the right answers um, and I don't, and I don't perform effectively, I think it's, let me go get some more right answers instead of what was competing. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that, that wasn't was, it. That wasn't it. Yeah. Instead of what was competing with me taking effective action, mm. you know, what was competing? Like, what was I focused on instead of what was needed in the moment? Yeah. And, you know, uh, it goes, I think that goes back to, I think those distinctions that leadership as an observer giving an account, or, you know, if you think about it, we're always, if we, if we just, 
we look at our normal state of mind, we're always evaluating everything we're doing. Yeah. And we, we tend to go there. And, and, and except for those moments when we disappear completely in action. Yeah. Right. And so, I, you know, like what kind of inquiry can I make? Because there's different, you could have an inquiry to get descriptions and definitions and understanding, or I can have an inquiry into opening up a possibility to act. Hmm. Right. That, that's about as simple as it gets. It sounds mundane, but that's very distinct to be that way rather than dwelling on evaluating, justifying, rationalizing, you know, creating a because. So this yeah. is what's like how, what's wanted and needed that I can give, I can act into. Yeah. That, that's a, it's not like that comes easily because we're so predetermined to justify, to protect, yeah. to make right, you know, to look good. I am, you know, I think yeah. just, you know. Yeah. Well, we're, we're so busy trying to craft other people's view of us as well. Yeah. Well, I was, I, I wanted to talk about this for a while and I've backed away from it because I, it just, it just sound like a, like a goop, like goobly gook, you know, because the language fails the, reality that we're we're working to communicate yeah well let me take i'll give another example from a call i was in this morning with a world-class world-class mind world-class leader um and world-class engineer and he's examining a next step for himself and what does he do after he built this very famous company and he's in it he's in this kind of comparative conversation with himself why not (laughs) <laughs> he's in this comparative conversation with himself about, you know, who does he want to be Edison or Tesla, essentially kind of the guy <laughs> in the background, Tesla, Tesla. <laughs> no, here, here it is. Right. So maybe I'll be this underspoken guy in the background that did, that did very little self. He does. So he's got all the degrees from all the fancy schools. Um, and yet he knows he actually loves promoting. He's really good at translating ideas into marketable businesses. Mm-hmm. But, that's, but that's what, here's his tension for him. That's what less educated people do. You know, he's the smart. Yeah, yeah. That's know? what he made up about that. Yeah. That's right. So my point here is, is that, you know, he's in this observer. Like, how's he going to look to himself? How's he going to look to people closest to him? How's he going to look to the market? You know, if he becomes this promotional guy, um, but he's really good at doing it. And, and, you know, my, the, you know, this typically, this happens a lot, like where I'll write down a phrase in my notes and then 10 minutes afterwards, I'll say it, you know, cause the phrase is own it, man. You're that guy. You're busy trying to choose which guy to be, but you're just, you're a fusion of both. You happen to be a world-class engineer that knows how to speak. That makes you odd. It does. So you can spend your time trying to pick one or the other. And if you pick one, you're probably not going to be as effective. If you pick the other, you're going to think you're some kind of charlatan um, or you're going to fear other people don't get your intellectual prowess. Why don't you just go be both and get on with it? Well, yeah, I immediately thought of, well, I guess then Steve Jobs was a fraud. Yes. <laughs> That's, the thing. That's why this connects all into like the, 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 paralyzing effect that people choose to have from the imposter syndrome instead of just owning they're an imposter yes 
I am way out over my skis most of the time. Can we move on, please? Yeah. Now what? <laughs> I'm, in, I, I'm coming off confident, but I'm really insecure simultaneously. Can we move on? Yes. I'm always that way. I mean, you described so well what I know I've kept, what often can keep me from fully being in the moment, mm -hmm. right? Like, like not wanting to look bad. That's what it comes down to. It's just that seeps in, right? And and immediately starts to pull me back into the observer giving an account rather than participating fully in the game. Yeah. Yeah. It's like bowing, bowing to the crowd. Yeah. Um, I had a, I had a very similar thing. A uh, young entrepreneur got on a call. And he goes, he wanted to back out of the coaching calls. We, it's only our third call. And I go, well, what, what, tell me, he goes, well, it's not, just not what I thought it would be. And I said, well, that's good news. <laughs> and he said, what? I go, that's good news. He goes, well, I, I thought I was, you know, this was going to be about my business. I go, well, what do you think it's about? He goes, well, you're, you make it about me. Oh, I, and, and so it was really great because by the end of the call, he was all in, right? But I said, aren't you your business? <laughs> it was like, I don't see how my, being, how my way of being with you has anything to do with my business, right? And that was one of the most interesting inquiries because I wasn't, I told him, look, I'm not going to try to prove it to you, but I'd like you to tell me what the difference is. And, and it's like, it's okay with me if you want to leave. Not trying to keep you here, but I want to be clear. You tell me how you are not your business, or if you want, tell me how you are your business. You, either way, and man, that inquiry was so exciting because he started questioning his own assumptions about what it means to be in business and why he felt so lonely because he saw himself separate from his business, like his private life somehow wasn't the like he wasn't, he was a different person in his private life than he was in his business. Yeah. And that, that, that connection, it just, I could hear it open up and his, he, all of a sudden he, his whole tone shifted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a, I don't know, back to the phrase owning it. Because, you know, we, we work really hard to try to disintegrate ourselves. Yeah, disintegrate. Mm -hmm. like, oh, let me just try. I think there's I think there's peace in being two people, which is just such a funny, we don't <laughs> say it that way, but we act that way and we pit our life against itself and then wonder why there's not a through line of meaning. Well, it gives, it or just, wonder why we're exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> you just gave context for that whole concept of work-life balance. Yep. Like that, if I'm, if I'm polarized like that, I'm going to, I'm not going to feel, I'm going to feel out of balance all the time because I see myself as two separate. I have two separate lives, work and life. This one might land for some people. I'm a leader at work and a follower at home. Right. I have, I don't know, but I have some clients that have that live that dynamic, right? They, that's how they perceive it. Uh, of course, we're leaders and followers everywhere we go right? In, in certain circumstances. We've talked a lot about that on the podcast, but it's interesting, right? I'm, I'm this, I put on this leadership hat at home at work and I'm the guy and maybe even overcompensating my position of leadership at work. Cause when I come home, I'm submissive. I'm this other hat that 
means something else. And it's just, it's exhausting and it's confusing and it's inconsistent. Yeah. Adrian, you mentioned something that I wanted to pinpoint. It's going to take us back just a minute or two, but you mentioned what's competing, right? Why didn't I, this is a question that I hear so much in our work is like, how, why do I know what to do and not do it? And I wanted to push in on this idea of like what's competing, because I think that's so crucial. So it's like the crux of understanding why we're not doing what we say we want to do or what we know we should be quote unquote should be doing is like what's competing. I think about like my relationship with my middle daughter. She's amazing. She's an incredible human being, but God damn, is she stubborn, (laughs) which is one of the things that makes her so awesome. But when I want to get something done, that stubbornness is frustrating for me. I mean, you're stubborn too. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I, I'll tell myself over and over and over again, these are her, these are her qualities. These are what makes her rich in this life and, you know, adds spunk to our house and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Yet I still find myself reacting in a way that I'm not proud of. Um, And what's competing is my desire to be respected, right? Whatever that means. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying like, when I feel disrespected or uh, like, I'm not getting done what I think we should get done. I react to her in a way that I know that I don't want to be acting towards her. I say things and I use the volume of voice and do stupid shit. Like, um, you know, I don't know, whatever. I think most people can relate to this, this thing, but um, it just, it re- Adrian, you saying that really opened up for me. Oh, oh what's competing? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's how I want to look. Oh, it's my expectation of time. It's all of these things, and I'm missing her because of what's competing. Yeah, if you think about it, you're, again, I'm going to go back to that distinction, the observer giving an account, because she's not adding up to what you think should be there. You're, you're actually observing and accounting, like you said, rather than being I'm assessing. With, yeah, rather than being with her and in a way that, and that's such a, being with is such a, nebulous term but it's the way to describe it because there's no it's just like how do i get connected here what mm-hmm. what am i missing you know that's i think the challenge because i i'm always assessing that this is i don't have enough time to be with her i don't have enough time to do this i you know uh, if i do this i'm going to be taken advantage of uh, it'll never be different um you know there's a million assessments that are going on in the observer giving an account instead of being in there to understand what's there. Yeah. I think so many of us want the competition to go away. Yeah. But it's not going to go away. <laughs> well, in business, it usually shows up as, I don't have time for that. We don't have time for that. Well, you're right. You may, you may not have time right now for it, but if you don't do it, it's going to make time. <laughs> you're going to have this conversation one way or another. You can have it now or you can have it later with penalties and interest, or you can have it whenever, you know, set it up so you can have it. So you're not paying penalties and interest at some point. And we know what those are. Those are those little conversations. We walk away from a meeting and we say to our, I say to myself, well, I hope they get their mind right. <laughs> yeah. 
They're just going through a phase. I'll just let that be. I'm not going to bother. I don't have time for that. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely connect even even just this morning with some family stuff happening for us. Um, and um, there's so many points to make here. I, one, one of the I mean, if I don't watch it, if I don't watch it, I um, one of my so when we talk about survival, we don't talk about it like it's negative. Right. It is like this kind of natural default setting. At least that's the way I think it. <laughs> It's a default setting. And we, we tend to judge it um, because we'd like it not to be so, but it's like gravity for humans is we want to look good. We want to feel good. We want to be right. And we want to be in control. And these make sense to us. That's how we keep ourselves alive. That's how we um, save energy. That's how we, um, you know, um, as we're in, the, in our pursuit of peace and our pursuit of happiness, we think that, um, anytime those things get threatened, that those that, you know, I'm going to lose something. And so I end up, you know, white knuckling something or like for me, trying to convince somebody in my life, trying to change their mind. Instead yeah, well, you kind of see like a, the, the, the transformation is to view it as a cue, like an invitation, like, oh, it's cueing me to something. Yeah. It's a good thing. It's it's like my radar is going off. Yeah. Yeah. And then how do I like speak to the context instead of instead of you know bicker over the content? Mm. Which is what I I tend to like to just have this. Can I have this semantic battle about what somebody ought to be thinking or doing? Um, instead of really talking about the nature of the relationship. Um, or the or what's missing in the conversation, or really what's missing from me, you know. Like whenever if that other person is acting a certain way, I wonder is there anything I'm doing that's provoking this, and can I talk about that in a way that's really responsible? Yeah, but I don't want to do that. I'd rather just attack the surface level shit because I'm right about that, you know. And I got lots of evidence about why. Oh, we've talked about this 55 times. Let me go be patronizing to you about this thing instead of like, hold on a second. Let me, let me die for a minute, die to my own ego mm. and go listen, listen longer than I want to. Or like, you know, talk about context, you know, you're talking about your daughter's stubbornness. Okay. You're, you like being stubborn. I get that. And some, and some points I don't want to deal with your stubbornness and you since then my stubbornness about your stubbornness. Yeah. I just ask a, I asked I used to ask Elizabeth, so how come? Like like what's so what are you what are you stuck on? What do you think's going on here? Yeah. That, that helped me a lot because she is when you described your daughter, I went, Oh, I have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kenya, Kenya knows that question well. Like, what's up? What's up? What's going on? That's my more level-headed reaction. <laughs> yeah, when you're on your game, that's the when you're in, when you're connected, yeah. that's your game. That's what yeah, exactly. When I'm in flow and whatever she's up to doesn't mean anything about me and what I need and what I want and how she's messing all that up, then I I can really connect with that um and that's been meaningful. And Dan, you when you talked about it being a cue uh, or an invitation, I just wanted to I wanted to put a pin in that as well um, because 
I think I mentioned, you know, I think most of us wish the competition wasn't there, right? It's like, why can't I just easily do what I want to do every single time? Why does there have to be this competing um, motivation or intention? And I would say, like, if we put competition back in the context of sports, I think about like my son's last soccer season Mm. where they dominated everything, Every game was a ridiculous shutout and it lost the richness of the experience almost to the point of like, he was just like, after every game, he's like, yeah, we won again by seven, you know? And it's like, I, I gotta, I gotta, uh, not gotta, I, I, I believe that it, it is this experience of the competition happening that adds to the richness of choosing to, to operate the way we want to. Yeah, there's a there's a saying: uh, a measure of agitation quickens the soul. What makes the species prosper isn't safety, but freedom. Right? It's like the freedom to be challenged is so that I, I think again about MMA fighters. When I listen to them, they want to fight the good. The guys who are great want to fight somebody better than them. Mm-hmm. Literally want the engagement, like like. And, and because they know it's going to make them better. They know it's, they have to be more present. They have to be completely present. You know, it's like, think about it. I imagine what it might, because I never fought at that. I never did that. But can you imagine you're going in against somebody who you, you know, know full well that could whoop your ass, <laughs> but you're going to figure out how to compete, how to get up to it. That that means like, that'll presence you because <laughs> You can't spend too much time in the back of your head. (laughs) And I can imagine like when you want to quit, you go, no, if I quit now, when you're training, you know, it's like they talk about taking each other deeper, which means you get so down into the the nitty gritty that's so much into the, the punishment that they're able to keep pushing further into it, resourcing, whether they didn't know they had resource. Yeah. You remind me of that Adrian, when you were doing those triathlons, you were doing that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and I was just thinking about why when people are really focused on the plan and that makes sense to focus on the plan because we're just told, you know, make your plan, make your plan, make your plan. But then when you focus on it and you make the plan sacred, you're all of a sudden already dead. Set up mm-hmm. for disappointment. Set up. And then you're going to spend the rest of your time trying to get reality back to the plan. And then anything, anyone I mean, this is why most of the challenges for business are not in the market. Most challenges, almost all of them, I would say, are internal. Because if you got more than a team of one, or even with one, you got plenty of internal challenges. But if you get more than one person in the room, you're dancing with so many competing interests. Mm-hmm. And if I've got a plan and someone else shows up outside of my plan, all of a sudden they're my enemy. And I although and then usually go covert to try to change their mind without talking about the real issue. Um, especially when you get a really complex organization structure happening, everybody's all over the place. That's it. They're all going to be all over the place. And you can align them around a vision, align, align them around a set of principles and order about what matters most here or do what most people do say something and have a plan and then not pay attention to how people are relating to that plan. 
And, you know, so then we're going to be already just like zombies in the process mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because we know it doesn't work and we know it's off track. And then we spend time wondering about why it's off track instead of wondering what it's going to take from me to build a new track and, you know, realign people and have that honest conversation. Um, you know, so it's like, we come in. So if we make the plan so sacred, then we're like in this very delicate tiptoey, um, uh, relationship to reality, instead of saying, here's the plan, it's probably going to be off in the next five minutes. So, you know, how do we engage with one another and keep the first, keep the first things first, which is how we're going to show up with one another as we take this thing on. Yeah, and the, the, like, what's the, I wonder what the interests behind the plan were and how can we meet those interests even if we don't follow the plan? Yeah. It's like, it's like the kinds of questions. It's like, you know, you just think about the kind of learning that we are steeped in is all about these formulas and getting things to fit them. Whereas, you know, the kind of learning we're committed to doing with our clients is about adjusting to what, like being relevant to the circumstances. Like how do I engage the circumstances and draw my interests out rather than make the plan significant, right? Like what, how can I have what ultimately the plan is serving? How can that happen? Even if it's not on plan, like what kinds of inquiry, like internally, what has to go on for me to be able to engage that kind of inquiry? Like, what do I need to be aware of so I can wholeheartedly in, engage in exploring those kinds of possibilities? I mean, that, that's part of the discipline. And, yeah. you know, it's like anything, it just doesn't come overnight. You know, that, that's, the, that's the beauty of having each other committed, kind of aligned in the same commitment, working with each other, giving each other permission to invite each other into that. Yeah. Well, that's where, I mean, everyone is trying to connect some ideas here. So many complaints from leaders are lack of accountability internally. And what, why, why is that? You know, I I think it all comes back to these first principles is that every human really wants to survive because we think that like survival is the goal. Um, And instead of, if we surrender our own survival, like look good, feel good, be right, be in control, you know, and if I can, know what wants to be running me and then give up the right to what I think I need. This is, and I think this is the core of like kind of the preciousness and culture because you know, if, if certain people have to see me and treat me a certain way, then all of a sudden my world is very small and I'm operating to make sure that really fine line, everybody toes the, the line when they're talking to me and, and, and that's just survival. And if I just give up my own survival, I don't need to survive in this conversation then I can be present because then I'm actually something's more important than just me getting by. And then I think, then I, you know, cause I think about it back. If we use your analogy, Dan, if I, if I, if I've got my own view of survival, here's my plan, here's my strategy. I've studied this opponent and I, here's what I think he's going to do. And here's all the counterattacks I'm going to make. And then all of a sudden he does something else. And I can in the moment respond to what's needed or I can in the moment go in my head about why he's not doing what he should be doing right now. And I get my ass kicked. Well, this isn't right. Hold on a second. (laughs) Let's start over. He's cheating. He's cheating. There are no do-overs. Yeah. 
No, this is not a dress rehearsal. I love that one. Yeah. Well, one of the one of the questions that I had written down, and I think this is a great place to kind of wrap it up, is like, what does it takes? What does it take to presence leadership? And that's obviously what we've been talking about this whole time. But like, what does it take to presence leadership rather than just to learn about leadership? And there's this like dominating element, I, from my perspective of practice. And I, you know, I call it the practice mindset. Like as long as for me, as long as I, I, as long as I have a mindset of I'm practicing, then I get to go again when I fail, when I miss it, when I do whatever, I get to go again because I'm just practicing here and I'm in it. I'm not, anal- I mean, I am doing, I'm, I'm observing and taking the feedback, but I'm not analyzing. I'm just in presencing it, practicing it, all of that kind of stuff. And I'm wondering, I, I can just feel the questions of people listening is like, well, how do I do this? And we don't talk much about how do we've, we've, we've established that, but what would you leave people in this conversation with? Like what, what now? Well, that, yeah, the question is part of that will for an answer, right? I guess the answer would be, if we said anything, it would be to open up a larger possibility space for action. Like how, what, what inquiry, and that usually starts internally. Because, you know, I, I notice if I'm offended, I move into a state of expectation or let's say entitlement. Mm-hmm. And if I can catch that cue, I can then look into and, and, and begin to investigate internally what is it I see as a threat and what, what other possibility might there be there? Like it's an internal, it's an inquiry that brings me to the party instead of pulling me back into the stands, right? So I've got to be, that discipline is identifying internally what conversations are going to draw me closer to the now and which conversations are going to pull me to, back into an assessment of the now. Right. That if that makes any sense, I, I want to notice when I'm an observer giving an account because it's so natural for a human being and then call that use that as a cue to call myself into action. You know, which is a different it's a conversation that's about what's wanted and needed, for, you know, in that situation and relevant to what I'm committed to rather than a justification, a rationalization, an assessment that makes me right, look good, feel good, be right, be in control. It's that set of knowing those distinctions, that the distinction between the latter will bring me to, you know, presence and the former, the one where I'm in an observer in uh, giving an account is going to pull me out. It's going to, it's going to make me less potent That's great. And I would say if you wanted to make a choice to go see the distinction, because I'm on with you, Dan, on the framework around it. And then if you, and, but, and, and then if you want to make a choice to go feel and taste the distinction that Dan's talking about is like, what's, what's one thing for a listener, what's one thing that you've been putting off? What's one thing you've been avoiding? What's a conversation you've been avoiding, an action you've not taken, a 
um, whatever that is. And probably feel hopeless about, or there's no possibility in like that. Yeah. yeah. And go throw yourself into it and go take the, I mean, you know, essentially my, my thought is uh, if you, if you chose to take on some courage and take on something that you'd prefer to just speculate about. And we analyzed, I mean, kind of the analysis paralysis type thing, uh, which is like us spending a lot of time trying to think through this thing one more time before I have to go take action. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's another, you're in the stands thinking about it instead of going in and starting a conversation that you don't know how it's going to end. So that'd be a, that'd be a way to go, ex, ex, you know, experiment with, try this on. It's like, let me go take on something that I can't control. You find yourself saying things you didn't even know you had to say. And you have, you find yourself saying the things you were afraid to say, but in a way that they could be heard and taking that risk. You're inviting feedback that you may not want to hear. You know, you're, there's something that engages, anything that engages you or draws you closer in the moment where more of you is required, not less of you. It's <laughs> great. Great closing remarks. Thanks so much for the conversation, guys. It's been life-giving. I have a page full of notes here and I just really appreciate it. I, 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 I'm going to say it again. I appreciate seeing your faces. I'm glad we're back in the saddle. We've well, been missing you, man. Love hanging with you. Thanks so much. Bye-bye, everybody. Well, my friends, thank you so much for listening to yet another conversation on the Naked Leadership Podcast. Your listenership and commitment to the podcast means the world to us. If this podcast or these conversations has helped or inspired you in any way, would you mind going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star rating and a glowing review? This helps us grow the movement and reach more leaders and teams. Finally, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing the podcast with your teams and the other leaders in your life. Until next week, bye-bye everybody.